Well, good morning. morning. Welcome to Battleground Community Church this morning. Take your Bibles, open it up to Romans chapter 1. And don't pass out on me. Uh, We're going to be looking at verses 18 to 32. um, But we're going to be looking at 18 to 32. Matter of fact, we've already been looking at it. And we're going to continue to be looking at it for the next three weeks. And uh, this morning, our task, as it was last week, is to understand and define God's wrath. Today, our, our simple, our simple, <laughs> our simple task, so to speak, is to look at human depravity on a foundational level to understand it. And then we're going to look over the next two weeks after that on, on what does it look like in the text. So we're going to go to the text. We're going to see what does God's wrath look like? What does human depravity look like? And, uh, and so that's our task before us. So let us stand. I'm going to read the whole passage today so that we can get the whole thing in context. And then we're going to pray and dive in. Romans 1 and verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them. Because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made so that they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give, him, give thanks to him. For they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, and birds, and animals, and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their flesh, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves." Because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men, receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossip, slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteousness, righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they only do them but give approval to those who practice them. This is the Word of God. Let's pray. Lord, uh, what a passage. Like reading the newspaper this morning. Like 
pulling up our news channel on our favorite feed and looking at the hot topics, Lord. When we look at them, we read your word here. The application of it into our world that we live in. Even those that we love. And so, Lord, we need to hear your word and truth today. We don't want to be part of the suppressors, God. We are like Isaiah saying here this morning, Lord, we didn't deserve anything from you. And it is a mystery to us. While in the midst of our sin and our our depravity, you sent your son not only to die for us, but you sent your spirit to invade our very nature. To give us new life and give us hope and a purpose. And so it's with that understanding this morning, Lord, help us to see the text. In Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. So we are working on processing God's wrath in this passage. What it is last week and now. Why is it here? Because remember we said wrath is not simply something that's coming. God's wrath is something that has already been revealed. So what does it look like? So I want to take you to a story because sometimes a narrative is helpful that we all should be familiar with. If not, you need, you need to be in Exodus 32. Exodus 32. So flip there. I want you to see it. You remember this is the golden calf experience. Remember that? What was the context of the golden calf? What led to them making, the children of Israel making a golden calf? Moses went away. Why did Moses go away? Received the law. And he didn't come back. And so if, as quick as they thought, look at verse 1 of chapter 32. It says, when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves to Aaron and said to him, up. Make us gods who shall go before us. That was, as a matter of fact, God would say this. They have departed, and they have departed quickly. Moses delayed, and the text goes on to say the people played. They offered sacrifices. They came and Aaron just said, well, okay, well, bring all your gold and I'll See what comes out later, he would say. It just came out, you know. We'll see what comes out of the, of the oven. We'll come out with this golden calf that they dare then, he dared ascribe it to the Lord. And in verse 6, it said, The people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And I doubt they were playing board games, right? So Israel worshiped. But while Israel was worshiping, God was burning. Verse 7, the Lord said to Moses, go down for, for your people. I like, I like that. Your kids ever done something wrong? And you say, your kids out there doing that. He said, your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt, listen, listen to the language, have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I have commanded them, and have made themselves a golden calf and worshipped it and sacrificed to it, saying, These are your gods. 
goes on to say down in verse 10, Now therefore let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation of you. This is what I'm going to do, Moses. I will destroy them all, lock, stock, and barrel, and I'll start over and I'll build a nation out of you. I don't need them. And so I will destroy them. Sobering passage. What do you see Moses doing next from 11 to 14 is mediating. Moses implores God. God, why would you consume the very people that you brought out? God, didn't you make promises to them? Remember your promises, God. And in verse 14, it says, the Lord relented. We'll come back to that story at the end, but I want you to just see this understanding, this tension between God's holiness and man's depravity. Human depravity is a radical corruption that affects the whole person, leading to the first sin and then to judgment. So let's talk about what is human depravity first. Let's talk about what it's not, like we did last week. But let's look at some maybe some myths that when you hear human depravity, when you hear that word, you may think what somebody is saying. So let's talk about four myths. Uh, one myth could be that human depravity means mankind is utterly depraved. It's not what human depravity means. Man is not as bad as they could be. Why not? Why not? All kinds of reasons for that. None of which is God's restraining power, His restraining mercy. This is our Father's world. But, and I wish I had more time, there are multiple laws beginning with the eternal law to the divine law to natural law to human laws. There's a lot of laws around here and some of them you don't even know that you obey. It's part of God's restraining hand. He has put His Spirit in this world, and listen, in his people. That's why we are called both salt and what? Light. Second Corinthians 2, 14, just listen to it. It says, but thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us as Christians in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. The other, a fragrance of life to life. Myth. Man is utterly depraved. No, man is radically corrupt. Second myth. Mankind really doesn't know anymore what is right and wrong. That's not true according to Scripture. We're going to look at this later in Romans 2, but I want you to just see it. So just flip over back to Romans 2, Romans, Romans 2.15. I want you to see that. Romans 2.15 says this. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse them or even excuse them. On that day, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men 
by Jesus Christ. Mankind knows what is right and what is wrong. They have a conscience. They are stamped with it when God creates them. All people are. So that's a myth. It's not what human depravity means. Human depravity does not mean that mankind has no conscience or that mankind has no knowledge about God. That's not what it means to be spiritually blind, that they can't have information, that they can't understand that there is a designer, that there is a creator. It is one of those things, that something ever happened in your life and you said, I cannot unsee that. I'm not even going to give you an illustration, right? I, I just would have rather not seen that. And I can't unsee it, can't get it out of my head. That's what he's saying, that mankind has been shown things and that they can't unsee them no matter what they claim to be. Know what the Bible is saying, just let me be clear, is that there are no authentic biblical atheists. Because God has shown things to them and they can't unsee it. The question is this. Do they have any personal knowledge of God? Do they have any intimate knowledge of God? And worse than that, more importantly than that, does God have any personal intimate knowledge of them? Matthew 7, 21, you know this. Romans 1 is going to deal with the pagans. Romans 2 is going to deal with religious folk. And Jesus dealt with them too. Matthew 7, 21, he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty were many works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you worker of lawlessness. That's the issue. Oh, mankind can have knowledge about somebody. Like I, I, know, I know somebody's address. I know things about them. But I've always used this illustration. You may know about my wife, but you don't know my wife. I know my wife. That's the kind of knowledge that the Bible differentiates. Mankind can have knowledge about God. Another thing we might think when we hear human depravity is mankind can't really see beauty. They can't recognize virtue or mankind, fallen mankind can't produce, can't pursue good things. That's not true. Mankind can see beauty. They see the sunrise and the sunset just like you do. They love to go on vacation and they love to go to beautiful places. They love to take it in. They look at their their spouses and their children, and they have pride and they enjoy things. And God gives them all of that. Why? Because Genesis 1.27 says, We were stamped in God's image, every man, every person. Psalms 19 verse 1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaim His handiwork. Day to day it pours out speech, and night to... Night reveals knowledge. There is no speech and there are no words whose voice is not heard. Mankind can see beauty. They can recognize virtue. They can pursue good things. Here is the issue. That their good is mixed with their sin corrupting the good. 
And so they have no holy good things. When they look at a sunrise or a sunset or some majestic thing and they say, look what Mother Nature has given to us. They are kindling, brothers and sisters, the wrath of God. Because though that reveals that there is the God and they recognize the beauty, they do not ascribe it to God. But make up something that does not exist. Like nature can produce itself. God's wrath is kindled because as Edwards, Jonathan Edwards said, even the good things we do has enlightened, enlightened self-interest attached to it that corrupts the good. So let's look at four truths about what it is. I'm indebted to Martin Lloyd-Jones, by the way, whose work on Romans is just exceptional. Human depravity means mankind has a radically corrupt nature. A radically corrupt nature. Mankind was created with the ability to know God and the ability to not sin. But mankind willingly sinned. And what we all inherited from that is a corrupt nature. So now we do not have the ability to not sin. Our nature is corrupted. Listen to what Psalms 51 says, verse 5. I want you to hear two words. Shaped, conceived, shaped, conceived. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Do you see it? Conceived in sinfulness, born in sinfulness. Ephesians 4.17 says this, now this I say and testify you in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their mind. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. It's the same language if you want to look down on verse 21 that Paul uses. Futility of mind. Darkness and hardness of heart. Human depravity means that this corruption, this radical corruption, has spread to every corner of a person's being, every corner of a person's personhood. It, it has spread to their mind. It has spread to their body. It has spread to their soul. It is like cancer left untreated. It will just keep on spreading. It's in their motives. It's in their thoughts and their intentions. Even if those things look like good things, if you peel back the onion, what you will see at the inside is selfishness. That's human depravity. Jeremiah 17, just listen to it. You know this passage too. Jeremiah 17, verse 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I'll tell you who the passage does. I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. It is one thing that I have learned in, 
in my personal journey and part of my testimony that battles in your life are lost or won right here. Right here. Most of us don't have as much physical problems as we do have mind problems. And this is what the issue, what we're saying is human depravity is not something that your mind has escaped. We have a problem even after we are saved. That our flesh that we have still has this sinful residue in it. Romans 8, 7 describes this mind. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. That's the issue. That's the issue with, with human depravity. Human depravity means that mankind is then involved in every kind of sin. That's what happens from the nature to the hands. From the nature to the mind to the hands. Remember what James, James, this is the illustration James used. I'm going to look at that, and I'm not getting into it because we're going to look at it later. From verses 24 to 32, he's going to elaborate. But the point is this radical corruption leads man to do exactly what their greatest desire longs to do. Man is making choices here. They're making choices out of a nature that is fallen. So when they make a choice to do something, they make it out of their nature. Out of their greatest good, they're ascribing what the highest good is and they're focusing their life toward it. The problem is the very core of their existence and every fabric of their body is corrupted by sin. And so what they, ch they choose to do is to sin boldly and to sin bigly, if that was a word. Human depravity means that we have no spiritual good in us. 1 Corinthians 2.14 couldn't be clearer. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. They are folly to him. They are foolishness. He is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. And because of that, human depravity means that fallen mankind can do no spiritual good before God. This is to understand the why of God. So why is God's Angry Human depravity is a radical corruption that brings all kinds of sin. So God is angry, brothers and sisters, that leads to God's wrath. Because mankind is, is not chiefly under his mercy, but mankind is chiefly under his wrath. Now, I know this is sober, but this is where Paul starts in Romans and we do not have the right to go to Romans 3 or Romans 8 unless we are willing first to love people enough to go to Romans 1. Remember we talked about last week, there is a dam 10,000 miles wide and 10,000 miles high because of our sin. And all people outside of Christ sit at the base of that thing. And this, van, this dam in this life is venting. And it's given that venting and those bad things that happen in life. 
is warning us that there is a God who is offering mercy. But because God is holy and because God is just, judgment is coming. So I want you to just see two contrasting things. And I'm just going to read them. So let's all turn to Ephesians 1. First, I want you to understand what it means to be in Christ. In other words, what does it mean when the text says that we will never experience the, the eternal wrath of God? We're outside of that. Why? Because we are under Christ. What, is it, what does that mean? Well, let's just read it. Ephesians 1 verse 3. It's only two options, remember? Those that, are, those that pursue faith by Jesus in faith by Christ alone and those outside, those who reject faith in Christ alone. Only two groups of people. These are those that are in. Blessed be the God and Father, Ephesians 1 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love He predestined us for the adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will to the praise of His glorious grace with which He blessed us in the Beloved In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace with which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose whom He set forth in Christ as the plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in heaven and all things on earth. In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, believed in Him and were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. To the praise of His glory. That's what it means to be in Christ. Those that experience this will never experience that. What is that? Where does it come from? Well, let's just look at 2 Peter. 2 Peter 2. And verse 9. says the Lord, verse 9, 2 Peter, 2 Peter 2. The Lord knows how to, has, knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to, keep the unrighteous un, and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment, especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passions and despise authority. Bold and willful, they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious one, whereas the angels... Through the greater in might and power, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. But these, like irrational creatures, are of instinct, born to be called and destroyed, blaspheming the matters. Excuse me, uh, blaspheming about matters for which they are ignorant, will also be destroyed in their destruction. Suffering as the wage for their wrongdoing. They count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are blots and blemishes, revealing in their dis- 
deceptions while they feast with you. Their eyes are full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greeds, accursed children. For forsaking the right way, they have all gone astray. They have followed the ways of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved to gain from wrongdoing. But they was rebuked for his own transgressions. A, a speechless donkey spoke in human voice, restraining the prophet's madness. Verse 17. These are waterless springs and mists driven by storm. For them the, gloomer, the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. For they speak loud boast of folly and entice sensual passions of the flesh who are barely escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom. Listen. Listen, this is the, this is the text today. They, they promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. For if after they have escaped the defilements of this world, through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them, overcome the last state has become worse than the first. For it would have been better for them never have been known the way of righteousness than after have known it to turn back from the holy commandments delivered to them. What is true of the Proverbs says to them, the dog has returned to its own vomit and the sow after washing herself returns to wallow in the mire. You will return to what your nature is. This is the difference, brothers and sisters. The reason I wanted to read all that is for you to understand the difference between those that are in Christ and those that are under wrath. There's only two groups of people. A question for us today is which group of people are we in and which group of people are those when we go outside the walls of this church to go out as he called Isaiah to. He calls us to. Where, who am I? Where am I? Send me. He said, I'm the man. Send me. When he sends us, we understand there's only two groups of people. This is a sobering quote, but one that is needed in our day. Jonathan Edwards, when he was preaching that famous passage that almost every student studies at one point in time, said this, quote, the God that holds you over the pit of hell, much as one holds a spider or some loathsome insect over the fire, abhors you and is dreadfully provoked. His, his wrath towards you burns like fire. He looks upon you as worthy of nothing else but to ca be cast into the fire. He is of purer eyes than to bear to have you in his sight. You are 10,000 times more abominable in his eyes than the most hateful venomous serpent is in ours. I know that's sober. <laughs> but brothers and sisters, this is why we have to understand that there is a need of the gospel in the lives of those that God has put in our life. This is their need. They may not see it. They may not recognize that this is what wrath is. But should not the church understand it? Should not the church realize that this is what we've been saved from? But you see, mankind does something that deserves the wrath. And what they do is suppress the truth. Look Now go back to Romans 1. 
Go back to Romans 1. Romans 1.18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. We said last week, truth has been revealed through creation, through consequences, through the conscious, and truth is suppressed. That means it is imprisoned, it is restrained, it is pushed down. I can't remember who I read it from, but what he said was, have you ever seen one of those suspension springs that is under your car? It's a huge spring. He said, truth is like that spring, and that you have spent your whole life trying to push that spring down. But make no mistake, one day it's coming back up to full size. You can push it down. You can, you can push it down. That's what the world is doing. They're simply saying this is the truth and we know that God exists, but we don't like the fact that there is a moral lawgiver so that we're going to suppress the truth. And when we do, we need to understand that what we're doing is ignoring the very character of the God that he is. So man suppresses the truth. And in verse 19 and 20, they ignore God's character. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made so that they are without excuse. You see, before there was a creation, there was God. Before there was anything that created, including man, there was a God who was eternal and timeless and sovereign and triune and personal and holy. You could say it this way. Before there was a thou shalt and a thou shalt not, there was a let there be. And everything else, including God's word, flowed out of the eternal God that is and was and whoever will be more. And this is a revelation of Him. The divine law came from an eternal law that existed before there was anything created. And we ignore it. Man has ignored it. Creation reveals the one who created it. And it makes a witness. Creation is a witness, just like we are. Acts 14, 16, and 17. This is what it says. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. Yet he did not leave himself without a witness. For he did good by giving you rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even though people were underneath this wrath, we, wrath, we still see his mercy. We still see his grace in their life. And that reveals that there's a God. And they ignore his character. And so what he's saying is because of that, mankind is without excuse. Listen, we have to deal with this truth this morning. If you say, I don't accept the Bible, you have to deal with the creation gives us a creator and a designer and a lawgiver. One, one that created things, fine-tuned this universe for man. The one that created man and a woman who, who chose the gender identity. He chose sexuality. And he said it was it's good. 
It is, to be, it is going to be what leads to this world to be exploding in a good way, in a positive way. He set all of that down in order before he ever gave us the Bible. And when he wrote the Bible down, we're simply saying, this is who God is. Don't ignore him. Don't ignore him. Mankind ignores God's character. And here's what's huge. Mankind, though he benefits from all of this, he refuses to give God thanks. Verse 21. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give him thanks, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. What, what Paul is teaching us that God is the creator and the des- and designer and a moral lawgiver, and all people know it. And despite that, they do not give their lives to him to honor him with it, and they don't give him thanks for anything. I am aghast when people say, I just can't believe that God would, that hell is eternal. I'm sitting there going, Can, have you ever thought about a 24-hour day in your life without Christ? That you wake up and think that you woke yourself up. That you think that you gave yourself breath. That you think that you gave yourself the ability of your mind to put your thoughts together. To put your pants on and to put your shoes on and to take a step. That you think that you gave yourself that job and you gave yourself that career and you climbed that ladder. And you raised them kids. And you have an inheritance to pass on. He said, this is why the wrath of God is up. Because I gave you all of that and you give me no thanks and you do not honor me with your life at all. That's why the wrath of God is here. They amass wealth and they say, look what I've done. I was like, doesn't that sound familiar? Do you remember the man in Luke 12 who said, I will build, I look what all I've done. Man. More, more, more. I got so much stuff. Uh, I got to move my money around so the, so, the, so the bank and the government don't get it. What I'll do is I'll just build my, tear my barns down. I'll build bigger barns and I'll lean back and, and rest in my years and make much of myself. I'll just eat, drink, and marry, and relax. And in Luke 12, verse 20, it says, But God said to him, Fool. This night your soul is required of you, and the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is the one who lays up treasure for himself, but is not rich towards God. Mankind refuses to give thanks to God. And so, and this is the heart of the issue that we'll look at Later, that mankind then seeks to replace God. Verse 22 and 23, claiming to be wise, they became fools. And they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for for images resembling mortal man and birds and animal and creeping things. They They did an exchange, you see it? They exchanged one thing for another. They exchanged God's glory for something created. We'd call that stuff. Could be really good stuff. Still just created stuff. 
Psalms 106.20 says, They have exchanged the glory of God for the image of oxes and ox that eats grass. It points to our story we started with. Ephesians 42.8 says, I am the Lord, that is my name, my glory I will not give to another, nor my praise to carved idols. I love the picture that's created in Isaiah chapter 44, verse 12 to 20. I'm not going to read all of it for the sake of time. It describes an ironsmith who, who makes something. Or a woodsmith who makes something. He cuts down a tree. And part of the tree, he cuts down and burns and he makes his supper on. The other part of the tree, he makes an idol. And he sets it up. And after eating, he worships the idol. It's this logic that God is trying to help us think with. Does that make any sense to you? That this guy would cut a tree down and cut it up for firewood and then make an idol out of it and then worship that piece of wood? I love what Augustine said. He said, a mason takes the stones and builds idols or a woodcraftman fashions an idol. He asked this question. What if that stone could talk? Love that. What if that piece of wood could talk? I'm asking you today. What if you just stop for a second and say, what if, the, what if all of these worries things that you're worrying about could talk? What if your career could talk today? Here, what would it be saying? It would be saying, don't worship me, worship him. That's what it would be saying. But man suppresses the truth and we ignore God's character and we, we choose to not give him thanks. And our minds we become more and more foolish. But listen, this ought to scare you to death this morning. And it ought to scare us enough to go to the gospel with people that we love that are lost. The longer they push back against the gospel, the longer they ignore God's character, the more God blesses them and they refuse to give Him thanks, the harder it is for them to repent. They become fools in their mind. Their thinking becomes useless So what today? I want us to go back to our story. Because this is heavy, isn't it? It's supposed to be. This is our three circles. God's design and brokenness. And that arrow we get to right quick called sin and separation is serious. It reveals man's problem. It gets us to the second arrow that says they must, we must repent and put our faith in Jesus Christ. Remember our story. Moses has interceded. Then Moses comes down the mountain. You remember? Comes down the mountain and he, he, he sees it for himself. I love what he said on verse, in verse 26 of Exodus 32. He asked this question. Who is on the Lord's side? Whew, what a question for the church today. Because listen, here's the truth of this text. Don't have time to get into it. Read it this afternoon. 
God's temple wrath is coming. No, they didn't get wiped out as a people. But judgment came that day. But you know what else came that day? Atonement. It's good news today. That even in their situation, and in our situation, Moses went up to the mountain. Look at verses 33 to 35. And here's what he says. Can I just summarize it for you this morning? He said, God, if you will not forgive them, blot me out of your book. I'll take their place. took my breath away when I read that this week. Hebrews chapter 3. Moses was a faithful servant. Jesus was a son. Just listen. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in the heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all of God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more glory than the house himself. Verse 5, Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were spoken of later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house if we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. Jesus, brothers and sisters, was a better substitute. He is the the better mediator. He was the final sacrifice. Hebrews 10 then closes us. We'll close with this. It says, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter into the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who is promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting together as some habits of some, but encouraging one another all the more that we see the day drawing near. I end this morning with simply say, let us be faithful and let us be grateful. For our Redeemer lives. And our Redeemer is greater than Moses. And so, brothers and sisters, let us, even with the sobering news, let us rest now in the person and work of Jesus Christ, who has paid, who's atoned completely once for all for you. And if you are not in Him, this is the invitation. This is the good news. That was the bad news. I've spent, what, 40 minutes of bad news. This is the good news. Repent and put your faith in Jesus Christ. And He will bring you into the family. And He has not lost a child yet. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for the greatness of Your Gospel. For the beauty of Your Word. And how it reveals You to us. 
and to the world. Lord, we are all still here, and you have not taken us home yet. And so we have a purpose here yet to be done. Our job is not yet finished. The world is not yet completely reached with the gospel. Show us what part you want us to play, God. And we will put our hands to the plow. But now, Lord, we just want to be grateful. This is why we gather here. You know this, God. You established all of this. We received it. You established your church, this gathering of the redeemed. You set up the ordinance for us and told us to redo it until you come. You send your son back for us, Lord. And so we're going to do it this morning so that we can be grateful for Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And for the joy that's in front of him, despised the shame and gave himself to a work to atone for our sin and to make us right before you. And so, Lord, we want to give you thanks that you loved us enough to send your Son and that his sacrifice is enough to pay for everything, past, present, and future. And that this morning, maybe for the first time, that we can, through repentance and faith, simply lean back into the arms of our good Father who loves us. And gave himself us for you. Lord, we love you. And our Father now receive our worship as your children. As we make much of our brother, Jesus Christ. Everything that we bring in our offerings, we do for your glory and your honor. We are so grateful. For what you have given us. And we are so sorry. That we oftentimes get so busy. Checking our little boxes. That we forget to enjoy you. And so now Lord we just want to enjoy you. Without rushing. Lord our meal next is not more important than you. Our agenda our paper that has the order of service on it, our renovation, none of that is more important than us enjoying you today. And so, Lord, may we not rush through this, but we must make much of you in this. In Jesus' name, amen.